faith, it's not a matter of if you will be persecuted, but when you will be persecuted for your faith. And if you can look at your life and you can look back over the time that you have been a believer uh, and you, you don't see any persecution uh, crop, uh, creeping up, uh, that you haven't endured any persecution, you may need to look, take a deeper look at how we are living out our faith in public. Um, because uh, the, one of the promises is when you, when you put your faith in Christ, the world is going to come at you led by that deceiver, uh, that, that led by Satan that's coming after you. So if we are not being persecuted for our faith, church, maybe we need to reinvestigate, reevaluate how we are living out our faith, if we are living out our faith in life. That's persecution. Well, Last week, we talked about how we have shut certain parts of our life off to Jesus. We, we love him as Savior. We love him as the forgiver of our sins, of that person who died, uh, who sacrificed himself so that we could be in heaven, so that our sins were forgiven. But we're not so, much, not so keen sometimes as, as having him as our Messiah, as our Lord, because that means that we are no longer in charge. We are now loyal. We are now obedient to a different king, King Jesus. And when we have this truncated view of the gospel, when it opens us up to that second theme in Revelation, seduction. Because, this, because Satan, the dragon, the devil, he's crafty. And he is good at what he does. And if we don't hold on to Jesus as both Savior and King, it is so easy for Satan to come in and to seduce us, to deceive us into believing a lie over the truth of God. So we must hold him as both Savior and Christ. And when we do, we have this deeper, we have this elevated gratitude for him as Savior, and we have this deepened devotion to him as King. And Satan's power is diminished and diminished and diminished. And that should lead us to unfettered, uninterrupted worship. I want us to read from Revelation 19 again. And uh, first of all, Revelation uh, 13, uh, where, uh, where we just were. Man, that's, a, that's some powerful imagery there. And I want, I want to just explain a little bit of it to you. I, I've devoted my morning reading time to Revelation as we've been going through here. Not just Revelation 17, 18, and 19, but trying to read through Revelation every day. And one of the things that is beautiful about um, the section that we just were read is that in that you see this unholy trinity. That's what that dragon is. That's what that beast of the sea is. That's what that beast from the land is. It's this unholy trinity as the dragon trying his best to imitate God, trying to offer some good things, and then out comes this beast from the sea. And what's the beast of the sea do? It's trying to get everybody uh, to worship the dragon and to worship the other beast. So you have this fake unholy God, this fake unholy false prophet, and this fake unholy Christ or the Antichrist. And man, at times it looks so good, but we see in Revelation 17 that when you look underneath of it, it is not good. It's filled with the blood. It's, it's, it's covered with the blood of the saints. Right? And we see that this whole going back and forth but of worship. That's another main theme in Revelation is worship. Persecution, seduction, and worship. 
And for those who persevere, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, Revelation 19 is waiting for you. Revelation 19 and verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Revelation reminds us, Revelation 19 reminds us that the face of a believer should be one that is joyful, rejoicing, because we are blessed. And that's what we talked about last, last week. Uh, when, uh, far beyond financial blessing, far beyond material blessing, the special, the special relationship with God in this life and in eternity. We should, have, we should be joyful because we are blessed and we should be constantly and passionately worshiping. And that's where we're digging in today because we have been invited to this amazing scene that we see in Revelation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to, to, to worship you through giving back. God, you have so richly blessed us and we thank you for that. And we pray that that which was given today here or online or through a check in the mail, that we are good stewards of those resources and that we make much use of them for your kingdom, for growing disciples who are going to change their families and change this neighborhood and our community and change your world through the Holy Spirit. God, we are grateful that we get to listen to your word and we thank you for the voices that read God, we thank you for the ability to, to be and the opportunity to be led in worship through song and the truth that we sing, God, the, this truth that touches our, our heart in a way that the spoken word just doesn't sometimes. God, we are grateful for that. And God, now we pray that your written word, this revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John to be passed on to us will speak to us. God, help us to be a worshiping people because of who you are. God, we love you, and it is in your son's name we pray, amen. So to, today we're talking about worship, so we need to define what worship is, and I like things put in simple terms, the simplest terms, and the most, the most literal, the most common way to define worship is bowing down. And I want you to think of, I want you to imagine, I'm not gonna do it now because it would require this section over here to help me get back up, but imagine bowing down. When you are bowing, everything, especially what is right in front of you, is elevated higher than you. That is worship. Elevating something else above you. Elevating something else up in awe, in reverence, in praise, in glory. That is worship. Worship is a major theme, not just of Revelation, 
but of the Bible. But in Revelation alone, there are over 50 references to worship. 50 references that speak of, use the word worship itself or praise or rejoicing or glorifying or praising or bowing down. Church, we were made to worship. We were created to worship God and it's our primary purpose for living. How many of you took shop class in high school? Anybody take any shop, uh, learn to use tools a little bit, or maybe you had a dad or a grandpa who, who taught you how to use tools? One, I, I went to Warren High School, graduated a long time ago, but I remember our shop teacher, Mr. Shad. He was about this tall, and his arms were about this, this, this long, right? And if you combine arms this long with the Board of Education, which was about this long with holes drilled into it, right? That's, that's the fear of Mr. Shad. And then when I was in school a long time ago, paddling was still an option for discipline. And I never got paddled by Mr. Shad because I saw somebody get paddled by Mr. Shad. But he also had a rule in his, in his shop, use the right tool for the right job. Don't use a skill saw when a jigsaw should, will, will do, is, is what is needed. And don't, don't, don't use a screwdriver for anything other than this type of thing. Right? How many of you use screwdrivers like this? Right? Can of paint? Try to pry it open. Something stuck? Try to pry it open. Mr. Shad doesn't like that. I found out that Craftsman isn't a big fan of that either right? when you try to take a tool back to them. But the right tool for the right job. Every tool, every product exists for a purpose determined by the manufacturer and not by the product. So our purpose is determined by our creator. Our purpose is determined by God. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 21, God wrote these words. God said these words, the people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. We were made to praise God. And not only is praise our purpose, but we just sang a truth. Praise is also our weapon against the seduction of the enemy. But unfortunately, we only get part of this right. We are all worshiping something all the time, or we are all worshiping someone all the time but we don't always worship the right thing. Sometimes we worship things that are outright anti-God. We see that all throughout the book of Revelation. We saw it in chapter 17, where, 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 the, where, where the, the, the people of God and the people of the world were bowing down to Babylon. We're bowing down to this, this notorious harlot, to use the Christian Standard Bible's version. Right? They were bowing down to things that were evil, sinful desires, greed and hatred and bigotry. First John uh, chapter two, John, the same author, puts it this way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Revelation 13, four talks about this worshiping of, of things that are not God. And they worshiped the dragon, they worshiped Satan for he gave his authority to the beast 
And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now, I told you a few weeks ago that there's nothing new in Revelation. Everything in Revelation has been talked about someplace else in scripture. So back in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 43, 42 or 43, right? God is having this conversation and you get to see a little bit of the sarcastic side of God because the people are, are, are like trying to rebel against him, trying to, 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 to have somebody else as their object of worship. And God's like, who's like me? Who, who created all this stuff? Who caused this to happen and that to happen? And the answer that he's trying to get them to realize is nobody's like him. So Isaiah is telling us the answer to the evil worship, the worshipers of evil in Revelation chapter 13. Who is like the beast? Well, there's someone better than the beast. Matthew chapter 4 verse 9, Jesus gives us example, this example. Satan, that dragon, is there standing right before Jesus. And he says, hey, bow down. What does Jesus say? Ain't a chance. Hey, sometimes we worship things that are outright evil. Sometimes, sometimes we worship things that are good. We are blessed, church. God has been very good to us. Uh, some of, uh, most of us have been blessed with a good family, with, with a spouse, with children. God gives us things for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. He gives us gifts like sex and stuff and money and influence. He gives us church, a body of believers that we can live life alongside. He gives us leaders in this church and, and across the globe that we can listen to. He gives us even... Government, when we use it right. All of these things are good. But what happens is when we elevate the good stuff of God to the status of a God, it's going to let us down. It's going to let us down. When we idolize a spouse, it's not going to be too long before we demonize that same person. When we lift up, when we, when we worship our children, it's going to not going to be too long Right? that we are disappointed by that God. If we raise sex to the level uh, that, it is, that it becomes a God and something we chase after regardless of any consequences, it's going to lead us down a deep, dark road with carnage all over the place. If we hold the church up, the church is a good gift from God, but if we hold the church up higher than we hold up God, the church is going to let us down. We could do an exercise right now where everybody pulls out a sheet of paper and makes a list of those people who are no longer associated with the church because the church has made them mad. And that's because, church, we elevate the church higher than we elevate God. And when the church lets us down, we think God has let us down, and that's not the case. We accept what, what pastors say, whether that's here or whether that's somebody uh, in another state or in another country, and we just accept what they tell us, hook, line, and sinker, and we don't go back and check it against the word of God so that when we see a pastor fall, it destroys our faith because we elevated that pastor to a place that he was never supposed to be elevated Church, sometimes we worship things that are all that are outright evil. Sometimes we, we, we elevate things that are good to the place of a God and we worship them. And it ends up in the same place. Sometimes we worship what is amazing. Right? We worship what, is, what was created rather than the creator. Paul has these profound words in Romans chapter 1. 
He says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. We are so good at doing that. I am so good at doing that. When I want to get away, you guys know where I go. I'm either going to the farm or to the mountains. And sometimes I fall victim to elevating God's creation and, and, and to the place that I should be elevating the creator alone. And I think simply by getting to the back corner of the farm or getting knee deep in a trout stream in the mountains, that that is what is healing me. And that's not what is healing me. It's the creator who gave those things. Sometimes we worship amazing things that were never meant to be worshiped because we should be worshiping God alone. John fell victim to that. Uh, were you paying attention in, in, John, in Revelation chapter 19? Right? This, this angel who, who, was, who was telling John all this, all this stuff and is showing this, uh, him amazing vision. And this angel was so captivating and magnificent that what does John do? He falls down to worship him. He does it again in the last chapter of Revelation, right? Right at the end, he sees the final scene and he falls down and worships him. In both times, the angel gives him the same command. Get up, worship God. I'm just a servant like you and the brothers who have held on to this testimony. Stop, worship God. Two words, and these two words summarize the message of Revelation. Because when we look at Revelation, the readers, um, the, the people who he's referring to in all these chapters up to this point, they're being tempted to worship the beast, to worship Babylon, to worship comfort and wealth, security and safety. If you're a reader, I highly recommend a book to you called The Joy of Hearing by a, a gentleman named Thomas Schreiner. And in that book, he writes this paragraph. He says, Revelation takes us back to the first commandment in Exodus 20, which summons all human beings everywhere to put God first in their lives, to give him all their worship, all their praise, and all their adoration. The suffering church needs a fresh vision of God as the sovereign creator, as the one who is awesomely beautiful and terrifyingly in the good sense of the word, in his holiness. Believers are to be filled with praise and thanks as they give all glory, honor, and worship to him while at the same time resisting the blandishments. I had to look that one up. Deceptive flattery of the beast and the false prophet and the fake savior. We are always worshiping church. Sometimes we're worshiping things blatantly opposed to God. Sometimes we're worshiping good stuff that God gives us to enjoy. Sometimes we're worshiping some amazing stuff that God gives us when we should only be worshiping God alone. Now, from Genesis to Revelation, from Abraham in Genesis to John in Revelation, from the first command, remember that one? Right? You shall have no other gods before me. And if that wasn't enough, he backed it up with a second one that was similar. You shall, you shall not make for yourselves any carved images. Right? You shall not bow down to or serve them. So the first commandment, the second commandment, and then the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, everything. The first, the second, the greatest. 
we should only worship God. When we worship that which is anti-God, the consequences are dark, painful, and eternal. Revelation gives us a graphic picture of that. When we worship things, when we make good things, good things from God, the, the best things, and worship them, eventually they're going to let us down. And in the end, the consequences are dark, painful, and eternal. When we take the most amazing things of God and we make them, when we make them objects of worship, it divides our allegiance and the consequences are dark, painful, and eternal. We have to be careful, church. Remember who this is coming from. Remember who John is and what he has witnessed. Right? John has been given privy to this pull back the curtains, this vision behind the scenes, angelic beings, the throne room of God, the lamb of God, the conquering lion of Judah. He has seen all of this and still he is not immune to the seduction of idolatry. Two times he falls to his knees to worship the created rather than the creator. Now, Remember, he wrote this. He's telling on himself. But he's telling on himself so that you, so that I can see how easy it is, even when we have the grandeur of God in front of us, how easy it is to fall to idolatry, to idol worship. Whenever Christians give control of their lives to anyone or anything other than God, they have broken that first command. They have broken that second command. They have broken the greatest command. But when we fail to bow a knee to anyone or anything other than God, look at what Revelation alone tells us. We are blessed. We will be blessed we're going to be invited, and that's what we're digging into next week. We will have eternal life. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 promises us that we will reign with Christ. We're not just going to be next door neighbors. We're going to reign with Christ. William Temple, which is the perfect last name for an English Anglican priest. He served as the Archbishop of Canterbury. He died in 1944. A long time ago. But man, did he write some beautiful words about worship. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love. The surrender of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Wow. John Frame is a retired American philosopher. He is still with us, but he wrote a book called The Doctrine of God. He said that redemption is the means, worship is the goal. 
In one sense, worship is the whole point of everything. It is the purpose of history, the goal of the whole Christian story. Worship is not one segment of the Christian life among others. Worship is the entire Christian life seen as a priestly offering to God. And when we meet together as a church, our time of worship is not merely a preliminary to something else coming. Rather, it is the whole point of our existence as the body of Christ. If I was brave enough to get a tattoo and could sit still long enough, I would have that tattooed on my back. Someone more familiar to a lot of us, Louis Giglio, right? one of the leaders of the, the Passion Conference, and uh, he, he wrote this, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Worship is the response of the whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength to beholding God's glory. Only possible by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Fixated on the gospel truth, we're able to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't intuitively figure this out on our own. We need the word and we need the spirit doing that. And again, humans are wired for worship. Thus, the worship of someone or something is inevitable. We are always worshiping someone or something. But the worship that pleases God, worship that proceeds from a heart that sees and loves him is only possible by the saving work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Church, friends, the concept of, of worship is absolutely essential to who we are. So this morning, I'd leave you with the question, who, what do you worship? Are you worshiping the outright sinful, what's opposed to God? Are you worshiping the good stuff created by God that you've elevated to the place of a God? Are you worshiping the amazing stuff that God gives us? Or are you worshiping God alone? I want to leave you with Paul's words from Romans chapter 16. Paul was a guy who had worship all wrong. He thought that he was serving God in one way until he met him, until he had a literal come to Jesus moment with him. And he shared these words at the beginning of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for, he is for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts and to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Church this morning, who, what are we worshiping?